All right, you got a Bible, Psalm 119 this morning, Psalm 119, right in the dead center of your Bible. We do want God's Word to speak to us. Over the past couple of weeks, we started a message series entitled, Hashtag Never Empty. Hashtag Never Empty. It's been kind of a joy, a pleasure, actually, to be able to look throughout the weeks at Twitter and to see how many people at Concord are out there in the Twitter world uh, really putting some things out there that God's teaching them. So let me just kind of drop some of these on you as you're opening your Bible to Psalm 119. Zach Sosby uh, writes, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Psalm 119.37, then he notes, today I'm praying for a refocus away from worthless things. Then Lacey Gaines, she writes, getting ready to leave for India. She's a uh, truant student, by the way, they're on a mission trip this week. She says, God, help me to hide your word in my heart so that I would be bold to share the gospel. And then Mr. Brian Milbert, who's uh, been very active on the Twitter uh, world, he, he puts Psalm 119, 28, my soul weeps and trouble weighs me down. Give me strength so that I can stand according to your word. And then Michael Hoyt, one of our community group leaders, he tweets out, may my delight be found by living out God's word in everything that I do. And then John Winters, he tweets out, his handle is jwinters88. That's how many children they're hoping to have. You know John Winters, they like drive a bus to church. But anyway, so uh, he tweets out, verse 29, keep me from evil, be gracious to me, and teach me. And then he tosses this prayer in, Abba, which means Father, you cover the uncoverable and rescue the lost. Thank you for your ceaseless love. See, the whole goal of this entire message series through Psalm 119 is to encourage you to increase your devotion to the Word of God. If you'd like to join us on the Twitter network, you can do that by following the instructions found in your listening guide this morning. But for those of you who are tweeting, thanks for those tweets. We've had a great time looking at them. Now, this morning, we realize as followers of Jesus Christ that there are times when we are going to be disappointed greatly. There are also going to be times when we face affliction in our life. And there are even times when we experience a spiritual weakness. And it is during these particular times that we need to come to God's Word and see what He has to say. The psalmist, we will see in a moment, actually experienced all three of those, affliction, spiritual weakness, as well as disappointment in his life. And he teaches us how the Word of God helped him, and we're going to apply those truths to our life this morning. So Psalm 119, beginning in verse 49, stand with me in honor of God's Word today. And you've got it there in front of you, say yes. And the Bible says, remember the word to your servant. It's like he's praying. He says, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. O oh Lord, I remember your name in the night and keep your law. This has become mine that I observe your precepts. Verse 57, the Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I sought your favor with all of my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. I consider my ways and turn my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Verse 65, 
You've dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Let's bow together. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. Ask in the name of Jesus that you would speak to those who are disappointed, those who are spiritually weak, those who are in the midst of affliction. Do a great work in their life through your word. I thank you for what you're going to teach us. Fill with the Holy Spirit. Give me energy to accomplish the task this morning, and we'll give you praise for it in the name of Christ that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So you can be seated. So why is it important that you and I increase our devotion to God's word? Three major truths we're going to see this morning, and i got to jump right into them. So here's the very first reason. When I am disappointed, God's word comforts me. When I'm disappointed, God's word comforts me. We read that in verses 49 through 56. Now, no one is immune to disappointment in life. It's been said that there are two things that are certain for every person living, death and taxes. Now, I'll agree with that. I would add one to that, though. There's also disappointment. Disappointment is going to hit every single one of us. It even hit the psalmist. He writes about it in verse 50. Look at your Bible. He says, this is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. Now, what's interesting there, the idea of affliction uh, it's a word that's used in the Old Testament 36 times. And when I began to study those 36 times that it was used in the Old Testament, there were some themes that began to uh, come to the surface about how affliction can touch your life and it can touch my life. So let me kind of give these to you very quickly. There's three ways affliction can hit you. Affliction can come upon us by way of verbal assaults. Abraham's wife, Sarah, is described in Genesis chapter 16 as treating Hagar harshly to the point that Hagar fled the family. He gives the imagery that Sarah verbally assaulted Hagar. An angel of the Lord came to Hagar and said this, and listen closely, the Lord has given heed to your affliction. So there's the word affliction. We also see it in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11, where Hannah was degraded verbally by Penina because she was unable to give birth to a child. So to be barren in these particular days was to be considered cursed by the Lord. And both Hannah and Penina had the same husband. But the husband actually favored the barren Hannah. And Penina, who was filled with jealousy, would actually take every opportunity that she received to verbally assault Hannah. Hannah prayed in the temple of God, the Bible says, and listen to her prayer. She says, Lord, look upon my affliction. So there's the term affliction. And what she's talking about there when she says, look upon my affliction, is she is saying, look upon what is happening to me as a result of Panina verbally assaulting me. And then she says, and give me a child. Now you may be seeking to live for the Lord Jesus Christ this morning at home. And you are vehemently assaulted by a spouse because of jealousy. You may also be seeking to live for the Lord Jesus Christ by verbally uh, and be verbally assaulted by co-workers or even friends. We know without a shadow of a doubt that affliction can come upon us by way of verbal assaults. But then there's a second realm. Verbal assaults not only, but also affliction can come upon you by way of physical misery. Physical misery. In Genesis, we read the story of Joseph, who was a man seeking the Lord. But he, great, he faced great affliction. In fact, his brothers plotted 
uh, against him to put him to death. They beat him vehemently. They threw him in a pit. And then they came to a decision to sell him into Egyptian slavery. And although accused of having an affair with Potiphar's wife, Joseph began to rise up after being put in prison in that particular government, and he had a place of prominence. He had a child by the name of Ephraim, and he said in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 52, listen to this, he says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So there's affliction again. He was not only verbally attacked, but he also faced great physical abuse by his brothers and even the government of Egypt when he was thrown into prison. I also discovered that many times when the word affliction is used in the Old Testament, it referred to physical mistreatment incurred by Israel under the rulership of Egypt. They were whipped vehemently as they were given a double dose of work as well. We read often that God, listen, heard and saw their affliction in Egypt. So you may be seeking to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and those closest to you, maybe even some folks in your family are seeking to impose physical misery upon you. I think about those overseas who give their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and their families oppose their decision. Some of them are beaten because of their faith and left for dead. Some of them are excommunicated from their villages and their homes. They have heaped upon them physical misery because of their desire to follow the one true and living God. So afflictions can show up with verbal attacks. We also know affliction can show up through physical misery. But then there's a third way affliction can come upon your life and mine. Affliction can come upon you by way of a satanic attack. Who can forget the affliction of Job when we read the Bible in the Old Testament? It was uh, brought on him by Satan. Job lost his family, he lost his health, he lost his friends, and so much more. In fact, it's described in the book of Job as the days of his affliction. So there it is again. In fact, Job himself says that days of affliction have seized him. Days of affliction have confronted him. So here's a man who is seeking to walk in a way of integrity, and yet even in the midst of this, he is facing all three of these kinds of attacks in his life. There's verbal attacks on his life through his friends and his wife. There are also physical misery upon his life. And then there's also a satanic attack. So as I look at these three, I know that you and I can face all three of those. And I also know, preaching this morning, that there are some people listening to the message that you're being attacked. There is a strong disappointment in your life because you're seeking to walk with the Lord, and yet all of these things are being heaped upon you. Now, the psalmist, in Psalm chapter 119, what kind of affliction is he facing? He tells us in verse 51, he says, The arrogant utterly deride me. Now, the word arrogant speaks of those who live as if God doesn't exist. It also describes those individuals who are living as if they are not accountable to the moral law of God, which is actually inscribed upon their hearts. And so they are arrogant. They are prideful, living outside of God's divine design for their life. And as a result, the Bible says that they are deriding the psalmist. Now, the word deride is an awesome word in the Hebrew language. It literally means to scorn or to scoff. Notice verse 53, how it makes the psalmist feel. He says, burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. So he cannot stand the fact that there are people completely ignoring God's law. In fact, he hates the reality that people are living in direct rebellion to the law of God, which they instinctively know condemns them. 
So he has fired up with this anger against those who are attacking him. And from the context, it would be safe to assume that the affliction the psalmist is experiencing has come upon him by way of verbal attack. And these verbal attacks could very well be satanically charged. So he's being ridiculed because of his faithfulness to Almighty God. But what do we learn from the psalmist? And this is what I really dig. When I am disappointed, here's what I learned. God's word comforts me. Look at verse 49. It's, easy, it's as if he's praying here. He says, remember the word to your servant in which you have made me hope. So the psalmist is asking God not to forget the word that he has spoken to him. Which, by the way, that's an amazing thought. God does not hold the capability to forget his word. If he forgets his word, then he would be untrustworthy. But the psalmist here is saying that what gives him hope in the midst of his great disappointment is actually the word of God. And hope is not some hope so like you and I use in the English language. This word hope speaks of a confident expectation of surety. So God's word spoken to him, speaking about his ultimate salvation is what will save the psalmist from the verbal attacks of the enemy. And notice verse 50. He says, this is my comfort, talking about God's word. It is my comfort in my affliction. So the word uh, comfort describes a consolation for those who have gone through a loss or through a great disappointment. And so the word of God here is actually the comfort for his affliction. And again, verbal attacks, physical misery, satanic attacks, these things can hit your life just as they can hit mine. And if we're not careful, we'll allow the disappointment to overwhelm us. And when I use the term disappointment, I think about those who are living their lives for Jesus, and I've done the same thing, where you're seeking to walk with God, and you're being attacked every which way. And you begin to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am walking with you. Here I am trying to be obedient to your word. Why are you letting all this stuff happen to me? And we begin to become disappointed with God. But the scripture says here that whenever we face this kind of disappointment, what we should do is come to God's word and allow his message of salvation to remind us that we are in his grasp at all times. Now, it's interesting here, as I look at that word affliction through the Old Testament, I want you to listen closely, all right? The Bible teaches us in Isaiah 48 and 10, teaches us that the Lord describes affliction as a furnace that refines us. Affliction as a furnace that refines us. So there's verbal attacks, there's physical misery, and then also we know there are satanic attacks. Now here's the wild part about the whole concept. God is sovereign over all things, even the devil. Amen? So here's the reality. You and I are placed inside the furnace of refinement. God is in the process of actually melting you away, melting me away, so that Jesus Christ is seen through our life. And so God, by his sovereign hand, is the one who allows the heat to be turned up in your life and mine. Even if it is a verbal assault, a physical misery, or a satanic attack. If you read Job chapter 1, you will find that Satan comes to God and begins to talk about what's going on in the earth. He says, well, I can't hardly tempt anybody. This is my paraphrase. Y'all women say yes. And then God says, have you thought about my servant Job? Now think about that for a moment. What? God says to Satan, have you thought about my servant Job? And then gives Satan permission to turn up the heat in Job's life. 
So all of this is under the sovereign hand of God. And when you are afflicted with great disappointment, just know God is sovereignly watching over the heat in your life and he's refining you. The fires of affliction don't give off a sense of warmth as a fireplace does. The fires of affliction give off a sense of pain. As more of us is melted away to reveal the Son of God. And I'm reading this in 1 Peter this month. That's kind of the text that I'm really devoting myself to. The Bible says, listen to this. Peter writes, to the church, our faith, even though tested, check this out, by fire, what an imagery, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter is writing to the church that is being greatly persecuted, and he is saying that this is a fiery trial in your life, and you should endure it with all patience, holding on to the promise of God's salvation, and in doing so, it bolsters you up, it comforts you, so that, check this out, so that if Jesus Christ were to come back today, he would find you enduring the affliction, and it will rebound to the glory of God. What a great truth that is, right? So we find this here. Look at, look at verse 52 in your Bible. I have remembered your ordinances from of old, O Lord, and comfort myself. You'll see that? He said, I remember what you said. Are y'all listening? (laughs) Yeah, because I just love that. I remember what you said, and I'm comforting myself with the Word. That's why it's so important that you and I study the Scripture. So that whenever we face great disappointment in life, God's Holy Spirit actually brings to mind the Scripture that we have placed in our hearts that will comfort us in the moment of our disappointment. So we need to know God's Word. You know, when I read that uh, passage of Scripture, I thought about our children. You know, we got four of them all under the age of 10. In the backyard, we've got a trampoline. And the kids love to jump on a trampoline. Y'all all right with that? We didn't have those growing up. We just jumped on beds. Can I get a witness on that? It's like, we loved hotels too, man. We ripped them up. But anyway, the kids, they'll come home from school or they'll, you know, after dinner, they all love to go outside and get on the trampoline. And they got walls on them now, protection. <laughs> when we started jumping on them, eventually there were no walls. Y'all with me on that? It's like, you fall off, you die. God bless you. Thanks for coming and playing, right? But here the kids go out and they zip it up and they jump in there and they're wrestling each other and throwing each other against the wall. And uh, Chris and I, while we were in Mexico, we actually bought some uh, uh, Mexicano wrestling mask. You know what I'm talking about? And, and they would slip those things on their head. And Gavin's got this blue mohawk going all the way down his back of his head. And he's got these eyeballs that are popping out. And he gets in there and he's only about this tall. But he gets after every one of them. So they're out there playing and having a great time. It doesn't take 10 minutes, though, before Chris and I hear a scream. Somebody's hurt themselves. They unzipped the wall. One of them comes in there, tore up from the floor up. Y'all all right? Just messed up. They come in there crying their eyes out. They go straight to their mama, the compassionate one. And Krista has this little thing. They'll show them a little a scratch here, a scratch there. And here's what's going on. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. And, you know, they blame all their sisters and brothers. He, he did it. She did it. And then she just goes over to the uh, uh, sink. She takes a paper towel. She wets the paper towel. She says, come here. She puts the paper towel wherever they say they are hurt. And it isn't seconds later they take it off and run back out and play. Isn't that amazing? Now, as I'm reading this, this psalmist, it's almost as if he is out there on the trampoline of life and all of these verbal and satanic attacks are hitting his life and throwing him against the wall repeatedly to a point where he has some hurts. And he comes to God in prayer and God by his divine grace takes his word and he applies it to every single ailment. 
Listen, God wants to do that for you. Some of you are hurt this morning. Some of you are attacked this morning. You've come in perhaps uh, just like a kid coming out from being hurt in the backyard. And you are broken hearted, disappointed. God wants to speak a word to you, to give you comfort. Notice verse 54, I love this. He says, your statutes are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. The psalmist is reminding himself that he is only a pilgrim on the earth. A temporary dweller who is destined for an eternal home in heaven. But while he's here, check this out. While he is here, he's going to sing songs about his true homeland. The songs he sings are the word of God. Now, as I read that verse, I began to think about the Winter Olympics that have just passed. The Americans go through rigorous training, overwhelming scrutiny by press and other people. They face painful afflictions with the hopes of ultimately hearing the star-spangled banner played. In fact, oftentimes, whenever they're facing the greatest affliction in the midst of their training, the only thing that keeps them going is if they close their eyes and picture themselves standing on the podium hearing that song. Now, the psalmist is saying the only thing that typically keeps me moving in the midst of my affliction is just imagining and singing the songs of heaven. And you and I, we know so many songs. We, we sing scripture. We sing several songs here. You're always learning new songs. Listen, there are times when I am disappointed. There are times when I am afflicted. When all of a sudden, God, by his grace, will just flood a song right to my heart. And just like the psalmist, man, I'll just begin to sing that song. And it brings great comfort to me. That's what the psalmist is saying. And there are times even in the greatest disappointment. When the only thing that will keep your feet moving one step in front of the other is if you close your eyes and you begin to imagine your homeland, which is heaven, and there in heaven, the Bible teaches Jesus Christ is seated in the true holy of holies. Surrounding him are angels, hovering over him are angels. And all those saints who have already gone on to be with the Lord, they are there at the throne. And there they are on one knee and they are singing the song of heaven to the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And there are times when you face great affliction, when you face great disappointment, and you're thinking, man, there's no way I can take another step. You need to stop, and you need to take God's word and place it into your life, and you need to begin to sing the songs of your true homeland, songs of heaven. That will keep you moving. It's amazing, isn't it? I love that text. Look at verse 55. Oh, Lord, I remember your name in the night. And keep your law. This has become mine, and I observe your precepts. I love the imagery here. The very name of God gives the psalmist great peace even in the middle of the night. Now you think about it. When you face affliction in your life where uh, it's verbal, physical misery, satanic attack, when that affliction comes on you, oftentimes you can't hardly sleep at night. You wake up every hour, you've got all these things going on in your mind, you're playing all these scenarios over in your head, you're asking the questions, what's going to happen, what will happen, what if this happens, and you are filled with turmoil. Well, this Bible is encouraging you that when you wake up in the middle of the night, instead of playing all of the possible scenarios in your head and driving yourself into a car of anxiety, what you should do is rest upon the name of our Heavenly Father. Listen, Jesus, standing on the edge of a boat in the midst of the greatest storm the disciples had ever seen, simply spoke out to the waves, peace, be still. This is the same Christ that you and I follow. 
So if you feel like you're about to fall out of the boat, know this, Christ is standing at the helm, and he will speak peace, and you will find it when you rest in his name. That's where he is. So we go to the Lord when we're disappointed. He gives us comfort. Let me give you all point number two. Y'all still with me? Say yes. When I am weak, God's word produces spiritual energy. When I am weak, God's word produces spiritual energy. Look at verse 57. The Bible says, the Lord is my portion. Now, y'all can stop there. The word portion uh, speaks of an inheritance of land or even the spoils of victorious war. So the psalmist is saying here, listen, the Lord is my portion. So check it. And I want you to listen because this is huge. While heaven is a great place for those of us who know Jesus Christ, the true inheritance that we receive at the moment of our conversion is not heaven, but Christ himself. For even heaven would lack true glory if Jesus Christ were not present. So if you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, be encouraged. You have inherited a most glorious possession which far outweighs the scales of value in our feeble minds. You have inherited the Lord. So this relationship with God and his word, it produces spiritual energy. And here he is weak, the psalmist is. And while he is weak, he begins to rest on the reality that the Lord is his portion. In other words, they can take everything else away from me, but they cannot remove the Lord. God, by his grace, gave me himself. He is my inheritance. Can't mess with that. Matter of fact, 1 Peter talks about how our inheritance is undefiled. It's reserved in heaven for you. He gets spiritual energy as a result of this. Did y'all see it? Notice verse 57. Now he's like, I promise to keep your words. 58. I sought your favor with all of my heart. And that word favor there speaks of the front of a person. It gives the imagery of the psalmist seeking the face of God. So the psalmist has said, I am seeking after your face. Where did he get that energy? Because he's resting in the inheritance, which is the Lord. Verse 59, he says, I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. Here's some spiritual energy. That is, I looked at the way I was going and realized it wasn't the track set out for me. So I turned my feet to the ways of the Lord. Now you got to listen to me. And I bought an eyeball very quickly. Some of you have come to church today and you are spiritually weak. The Bible even describes times when we are feeble-minded. And whenever we're spiritually weak, we begin to walk outside of the divine principles of God. And as we walk outside of the divine principles of God... We lose energy more and more and more. And what the psalmist is saying is this. He's saying, you need to remember that Jesus Christ is your inheritance. You need to rest on that reality. Get back into his word. And as you do that, you will find that you have spiritual strength to come on back over here and get back on the right path. In other words, when you get before God and his word, he will spiritually energize us to repent of the way in which we're walking now, which is ungodly, and get back on the godly street. God wants to draw some of you. He does this through his word. It's an amazing truth. The psalmist made progress in his walk with the Lord. Look at verse 60. He says, I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. In verse 61, he says, the cords of the wicked have encircled me. He says, I'm surrounded by evildoers, but check this out, but I have not forgotten your law. So listen, when you are surrounded by culture, or even a group of people, for that matter, who are all walking in a direction contrary to the truth of God's word, you obey the scripture and you will receive spiritual 
energy grants that to you. Verse 62, he says, at midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. So this is the idea that as the psalmist is in bed at night, just thinking about God's law, he's so fired up about it, he just gets up from the bed and he gives praise to the Lord. It's a great imagery. I've not received an email yet from somebody in the church who said, I woke up at midnight and just began to give thanks to God. So the psalmist did. He's overwhelmed with the Lord. And then we continue, verse 63. He says, I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. So here we see that when we run in the ways of God, those we run with begin to change. That is, those who are our close companions, when we are truly following God, our closest companions are also people who are seeking after the Lord. Are y'all listening? Say yes. Look at me eyeball to eyeball. If your closest companions are not seeking after God, you need to check and make sure you are. Verse 64, the earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your uh, ways. And I love this. Here we see the passion of the psalmist for the Lord. He knows that not a stitch of space upon the surface of the globe is unable to experience God's loving kindness. The kind deeds of the Lord our God. So if you are weak this morning, uh, that is you've lost your spiritual stamina, get before God and his word and do, don't get up until you're rejuvenated. Y'all still with me? Say yes. Uh, let me give y'all the third reality. This is awesome here too, man. I dig all of Psalm 119. I don't know about y'all, but I've just enjoyed it. And I don't even think we're halfway through. Here's the point. When I am afflicted, we keep talking about affliction, so let's go with it. When I am afflicted, God's word instructs me. And we find uh, those truths 65 through 72. Now, there is a fundamental characteristic of God that is found in these verses. And that fundamental characteristic is often misunderstood because we fail to see God our Father through the biblical lens of Scripture. And often we create God in our image. And by the way, fathers, that's why it's so important that you know God. Because your children get an image of who God the Heavenly Father is by looking at you, their earthly father. So we want to make sure we're a good reflection. But oftentimes individuals look at God in an unbiblical fashion. The fundamental characteristic of God that's being elevated in this portion of Scripture is that God is good. It's His goodness. Now, A.W. Tozer defines the goodness of God as uh, something pretty slick. Y'all look at this on the screen with me as it's up there. Listen to how he describes the goodness of God. He says, the goodness of God is that which disposes Him to be kind cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He's tender-hearted and quick of sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. And by his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes total pleasure in the happiness of his people. Now, that's a descriptive statement, a definition of the goodness of God. And what's amazing is that the psalmist is elevating the goodness of God in this text. Look with me at verse 65. He says, you have dealt well with your servant. You can also translate well, good. You have dealt good with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. This is literally a fact that the psalmist saw the work of God in his life as being something that has benefited him. He saw the goodness of the Lord. He so loved God's good nature that he actually wanted to express it toward others himself. 
In verse 66, it says, teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. He's asking the Lord to teach him discernment. It's the idea, Lord, teach me what I should do, teach me what I shouldn't do. He asked for knowledge. Teach me uh, to have the understanding of how to move forward in my walk with you. Then in verse 67, he says this, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. So the psalmist in verse 67 is actually referring to a past time in his life when he says, uh, I went astray, and then I was afflicted, and now I keep your word. Now this is huge. And I want everybody to pay attention closely now. Are y'all listening to say yes? Because this is it right here. Pay attention. When we, who are God's children, and listen, you're God's child. If you've turned from your sin and placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you're born again into a new family. God becomes your dad. So when we, God's children, began to run outside the safety of God's front yard, he will be quick to discipline us. The Lord understands the dangers in the street, and he will afflict us himself, if necessary, to keep us in his yard. But what motivates the discipline of God the Father in your life and in my life is not wrath. The Bible says that Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for our sin. What motivates God's discipline in your life and my life is his goodness. And Hebrews chapter 12 says, hey, listen, if you're not being disciplined, you don't know God as your father. Because all of God's kids are getting it. Now, Psalm chapter 23, you guys know the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Y'all know this one, right? Gives that great depiction of uh, God the Father being a shepherd and his followers being his sheep. And you and I, that's what we are, we're sheep. But when you study the sheep and the shepherd's relationship, you will find that if a sheep would continue to go out from the fold, that the shepherd would actually go and get the sheep, and he would take the rod that he carried, his staff, and he would break the leg of the sheep. Now, isn't that interesting? Then he would pick the sheep up and he would put the sheep around his neck and he would carry that sheep until that sheep's leg healed and he were able to walk again in the fold. Now, you read Psalm chapter 23, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that the rod and the staff, they comfort me. What? Let me hit you in the leg with a stick. I want you to experience the comforts. You know what I'm saying? But the idea here is that the shepherd is motivated by love and so desiring to keep the sheep from harming himself or herself that he brings about affliction to bring that sheep back in. Now, if you're God's child and you walk outside of the yard, so to speak, God will bring about discipline on your life. Please don't go around and find everybody with crutches this week and say, I know what the Lord's trying to teach him. I'll tell you what, I need to pay attention. Yeah. Hey, God, God loves us so much, he will not allow us to run out in the street of sin. He's, going, he's coming for his own. Now, what's amazing is uh, it's all motivated by his goodness. 
right? It's hard for us to understand that sometimes. I've yet to uh, get onto my children and them get up and say, Daddy, you are good. That just ain't done. But that's what the psalmist does. Look at verse 68. Look at what it says. You are, what's your Bible say? Lift up your voices. You are, y'all lift up your voices. You are good. And then check this out. And you do good. Teach me your statutes. So the psalmist sees the nature of God as being good. That is being pleasant and kind towards him. He even notes that because his nature is good, that he is, he is by default good. So keep in mind that all of this talk of God's goodness is in that context of affliction. And he even mentions some of the affliction that he's undergoing right then and there. Not the past affliction, but the current affliction. Verse 69 and 70. The arrogant have forced a lie against me. With all my heart I observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. So the psalmist viewed even his current affliction of verbal attacks as a signpost leading him to hold even tighter to the word of God. And it would be God's word that would instruct him. Now, everybody come back to me. All right, here we go. God is sovereign over all things. God is in the context of sanctifying you, making you more like his son, Jesus Christ. In order to do that, he allows the heat to be turned up. He himself sometimes turns it up. Verbal attacks can come upon you. Physical misery can come upon you. Satanic attacks can come upon you. These can happen, all right? This happens today in our life. Uh, we even read in Luke's gospel uh, about the satanic attack against a woman. And she was given a, an actual disease. But Jesus himself says she is tormented by Satan. And not every disease is a satanic attack, but some of them are. But God turns it up. God turns it up to melt us away. Can I, can I, can I give you all this? this? This is huge for me personally. We would never know the comfort of God if we did not experience affliction. We wouldn't know it. But that's the nature of God. He is a comforter, but how can he give it to you? Unless you're afflicted. So he allows it. And the satanic attack is rampant, I believe, completely in spiritual warfare. I believe in spiritual demons. I believe they attack your mind. I believe people can be possessed. I believe people can be oppressed. I believe that happens probably more often than we give credit to because we're Baptists sometimes. Y'all all right? And I'm Baptist to the bone, man, but I'm just telling you, there are sometimes that we code over some stuff. I'm talking with some people uh, recently who were experiencing some satanic attack, and their response was, uh, I'm telling the demons what to do. And in my mind, I'm like, stop doing that. The goal here is not to talk to devils. Right? It's like talk to the Lord Jesus and let Jesus talk to the devils on your behalf. That's where it's at. But these attacks, these verbal, physical, satanic attacks are under the direct hand of God being used as a tool to cause us to leverage the Scripture to lean upon the Lord. He's still elevating the goodness of God. Look at verse 71. This one blows my mind, right? Look at this, look at this. It is good for me that I was afflicted. 
What? Y'all aren't listening to the preacher. It is good for me that I was afflicted. When I read that the first time, this is what I did. I said, what? Y'all try that with me, all right? I'm going to read it again. You say, what? Psalmist writes, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Some of y'all are off key on that, but that's all right. Uh, hey, Psalmist, tell us, why was it good that you were afflicted? Right there, that I may learn your statutes. And the word statutes, remember, is another word to recall the word of God. He said it was good that I was afflicted so that I might learn your word. And then he's like, the law of your statutes are better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. What a concept here. The Lord's speaking to us this morning through his word. There's comfort for those who are disappointed. You've been living for Jesus and feel disappointed because of the attacks that come upon you. Chill out, man. Draw near to God by getting in his word. There's spiritual energy in the word for the weak. So if you're here this morning and you've walked outside of God's path for your life, God wants to energize you to get back in his yard. And you do that by drawing near to him, by getting in his word. And then there's great instruction for the afflicted. Draw near to God as you draw near to his word. It's never empty. Amen? Let's bow. Father, what a great privilege it is to open up the scriptures this morning and not to open up a book like other books. This book is breathed out by you. This book is sharper than any two-edged sword. Has the power to cut between joint and marrow, soul and spirit. Father, how I pray this morning that your word has gone out and it has applied comfort, energy, and instruction for every single person. And Father, the more we seek to make disciples as a church body and we are serious about planting more fellowships, the more I see the enemy raising his nasty head. So we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, claiming exactly what David claimed when he faced Goliath. This battle is not ours, this battle is yours. And Father, it does not mean we don't fling the stones. We still hold high the truth of God's word and we continue to cast it forward. And we trust the Holy Spirit to take his sword and to defeat every enemy. And we stand upon the truth of Scripture in Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. 
your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Do you hear what I just read? Romans 16, 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And Father, what a privilege it is just to know you. Thank you for loving us so much that you uh, keep us in the yard. You, you don't want us to get out in the street hurt. And God, you discipline us because you love us. You discipline us because you want us to know more of your character and nature. And God, even not only an individual being attacked, but a church being attacked. God, there is great truth in the reality that you turned the fires up on purpose. That no affliction is unwarranted or unused, but every affliction, Heavenly Father, is paving an avenue that draws us nearer to you. Help us to walk in light of that reality. Your head bowed, your eyes closed. The Bible teaches God created all of us to have a relationship with him. He's not willing that any would perish, but all would come to everlasting life. So God created you to know him. But the Bible says we've sinned. He's holy, we're sinners. Sin and holiness just can't mix. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. So if we hold on to our sin, we'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. But God loves us even in the midst of our sin. He sent Jesus to bear the wrath, the punishment for our sin on the cross. Jesus died for you to pay for your penalty. He died for me as well. And the scripture teaches us that he was buried and resurrected. We sang about it. Then bursting forth one glorious day. The resurrected Christ this morning is calling out to some of you, inviting you into a relationship with him. So I want to encourage you right where you are. If you want to know the Lord, the Bible teaches that you got to admit that you're a sinner, believe Jesus died for you, and you confess him as Lord. So right there in your heart, if you'll pray it, here's what God will do. By his grace, he will actually give you righteousness. Not based upon anything you can do, all right? You can't get into God's presence based on your righteousness. You don't have any, neither do I. But God clothes us with the righteousness of his son. So with your heads bowed, if you need the Lord, just pray something like this. Say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and that I need to be saved. And so this morning, I'm turning from my sin and placing my trust in you. Thank you for dying for me and getting up from the dead. Now, help me to be bold about my decision this morning. Your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you say, Levi, that's the prayer of my heart, then here's what I want you to know. We're excited for you. In a moment, we'll stand to our feet. We'll have a time of invitation. James will be singing. I'm going to invite you to leave the place where you've been seated. You come forward. I'll be here in the front. Other pastors as well. We want to pray for you and help you along in your walk with Christ. God may be calling you to join this church body. You feel like this is where the Lord wants you. I'm going to invite you to come as well. You'll be obedient to the Lord. But listen, man, when I, when I study a scripture like this and God begins to speak to my heart, sometimes I just got to sit down. I just got to say, Lord, help me to apply what I'm learning. What, what is it that God has spoken to you this morning that you don't need to forget? Maybe during this time you can just begin to pray it into your life. God, give me grace to appropriate it. Give me grace to obey. He'll do it. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just in the time of prayer, let's stand to our feet all across the building. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. James is going to begin to sing. Christians, you're praying. If you've given your heart to Christ, you come as James sings. If you want to join the church, you come as James sings as well. We're not going to belabor the point, but we invite you to come this morning.